Hello everyone and welcome to the Prayer in the Making Lent Book Club episode 23. We're into our last week together. I don't, I don't, that I know there are quite a lot of you that probably will listen to this at Christmas because you're kind of still somewhere around chapter four at the moment. But that's fine. There, there's a faithful bunch of you. My stats tell me there's a faithful bunch. There's about thirty of us still soldiering on together, uh, up up at this rate. Um, so well done if you're if you're still with me and equally well done if you only get to this at Christmas. That's absolutely fine. We can all say you have ingested this book far more deeply than the rest of us have on our winged flight through prayer in the making. Um, we're in chapter 11. We're on the chapter on warfare uh, and we're in section one today, which is called opposition strategies. Um, I want to talk to you about alienation people alienation um it gets a a bit of a mention uh in the chapter but but i didn't have time to go into it a lot uh so i want to share with you just some very simple thoughts on genesis chapter three which is the story of the fall as we call it um you know the story of the fall is really i think vastly a story about prayer it's about if you think about it it's this picture of Adam and Eve walking in the garden with God what is that if not the most beautiful prayer life ever you know they strolling in the garden in the cool of the evening with the one who knows them loves them created them is dreaming dreams for this new creation with them and what is that if it's not the most amazing picture of prayer isn't that not the prayer life that we all want and then something someone a a character the Bible calls Satan, the devil, an intentional force for evil comes into the garden, comes into that beautiful place. And by a series of events that you know, probably like the back of your hand, sets a blockage between God and his people, between Adam and Eve and God. And suddenly you have this state of alienation which makes their evening walk in the garden really difficult. And I think if you can take anything from this chunk of the book, it's that actually prayer is opposed. It always is, it always has been. And at some level, like it always will be this side of heaven. You know, ultimately, there is something about that very precious, very powerful walking in the garden with God that is prayer that is opposed and which the enemy will always try to block and if you find prayer difficult that's entirely normal but it is not however entirely how it always has to be so I I wanted to talk to you a bit about this sense of alienation what is it made up of and what do we do with it because you know I don't think I, I think half of the reason why people struggle with prayer is because there is this opposition yes we're lazy yes we get distracted yes we have lives that are not conducive to prayer yes we're we're you know uh, one of the things I often say is prayer tends to zero if you don't work on prayer it's it ceases to happen yes all of that is true but there's more to it than that isn't there there's some other factor that makes prayer a struggle for us and I actually think knowing what that is seeing it and having a few ways 
through it and around it can be quite helpful. So that's what I want to talk to you about. Um, and I want to talk to you about two things that happened to Adam and Eve after the incident of the apple, shall we say. So, well, it, we don't know if it was an apple. The fruit. So they'd eaten the fruit and the walk in the garden of the in the evening was we presume from the way it's described something that they generally did joyfully and with enthusiasm it doesn't say god walked with adam and eve in the garden in the evening and they frankly rather not have been there uh, it it there's a sense of co- communing sorry that was a difficult word to get out there's a sense of communing there's a sense of togetherness and of joy and of this being the pinnacle of their day at some level suddenly God turns up for the evening walk and they're not there. They no longer go to that walk with joy. They no longer go to it with expectation, with with freedom, with a bounce in their step. They are avoidant. They are hiding. They are hoping that God won't notice if they skip this evening's walk in the garden. Sounding anything like prayer yet? You know... We're avoidant of prayer, partly because there's alienation, partly because there's a there's kind of a deep wiring in us that this thing is not easy. That this that this 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 thing is tricky. This thing is difficult to get a grip of. And I don't think that we're meant to be like that. I don't think we're meant to feel like that about prayer. Um, What do you do when you feel that lack of ease? about prayer it doesn't feel like the thing that you go to most joyfully and most readily I absolutely believe prayer should be the place where we are at our most alive shouldn't it our walk with God in the garden should be the moments in our lives when we are most free most full most joyful most alive I am not saying by the way that prayer should always be easy I am not saying that it's not a discipline but I do think that the idea that we get to commune with the creator of the universe and that that is a precious privilege and a gift that means we should actually probably be fairly keen to do it we should be running towards it joyfully even when it's not the easiest thing in the world so what is that all about that we don't well i think that the alienation around prayer about around this this avoidant thing hiding from prayer the hiding away the prayer not being us not feeling at ease in God's presence. For me, this is all um, layered over with stuff to do with guilt and inadequacy and oughts and shoulds. And uh, I'm harking back slightly to what I said in the earlier, earliest podcasts of this series to do with uh, not kind of giving into guilt over prayer, not being guilted into a sense that prayer should be something more than I'm doing or it should be something I should be better at it all these kinds of things you know that's what the enemy has done for centuries is tell us the people of God that we're getting this wrong that God would not approve of how we are that we need to hide and avoid because actually we're no good at it really and uh, if only we were more like somebody else uh, then uh, everything would be much better, certainly. You know, if I, it, basically we need to be so-and-so, we need to be this or that Christian superhero. You know, the best way I know to feel 
to fight the feeling of not being at ease in prayer, to fight that feeling of avoiding and hiding, etc., is to choose a rhythm of prayer that absolutely suits me, that absolutely fits with who I am. If you're coming to prayer and it's feeling draining and de-energising and something that you have a wrestle with, you might want to look at whether you change what you do, when you do it and how you do it. And you can listen to some of the earlier podcasts if you want to review some of that because I don't want to go through it all now for the sake of time. But do you get what I'm saying? There's this sense that actually, yes, okay, sometimes God calls us to disciplines of prayer that are hard going and we know, we know we're called to them. Um, I know I'm called to certain things during Lent, which I don't find particularly easy, but they don't drain me. I do them because I'm, I've chosen this rhythm. I want to press through this rhythm. So although they're hard, they don't de-energise me. In fact, quite the opposite. They're hard, but they're energising. If prayer is de-energising and stressful, it's because you're probably listening to some oughts and shoulds and comparisons. And if only I was a bit more like so-and-so, I'd be better. Or if only I did a bit more of the, you know, actually, that's not that's the alienation. That's not the walk in the garden. The walk in the garden is designed to fit you. So have another thing, especially as we come into Holy Week, if you're not listening to this at Christmas, especially as you come into Holy Week, what can it look like for you this week? How can you banish uh, that sense of unease from your prayer? How can you, what can you do to help yourself go to prayer with joy? Does it, is it that you need to be out and about? Is it that you you would love the thought of prayer if only you were walking through the countryside? Would you would you love the thought of a prayer time if only you could lock the family out for an hour or so and just have an armchair to yourself and a cup of tea? Whatever it feels like it's going to take for you to enjoy prayer this week, do it. Do it not because that's about making your life easy. Do it because it's a fight. Do it because when you do it, you are raising weapons against the alienation. It is warfare to choose a prayer rhythm that you love and that energises you is warfare because it pushes back against the alienation that the enemy is always after between us and God. If he is dreading the moment that we find that we actually enjoy prayer, terrifies him. So do it. Get on with it. Do it as much as you can this week. Enjoy it in every way you know how. Second thing, um, they covered themselves, didn't they? They they put fig leaves over themselves. They were no longer sure that they were loved and accepted. And this is the other facet of the alienation. The first is is that we don't feel at ease in prayer. We don't come to prayer with joy. Uh, we're avoidant and we hide. The second is we don't feel loved. We don't feel sure of our acceptance. We don't feel sure that we are truly loved for who we are. And so we start to hide. We start, sorry, I'll change the language because it's not helpful to use the same word as the last one. We start to cover up and we start to blame and shift and tell lies. And, you know, uh, as they did, it wasn't me, it was her. It wasn't me, it was him. It It wasn't me, it was the snake. You know, there's, we cease to be truly truthful. We cease to be entirely real before God because we're not completely sure that he's okay with us anymore. And uh, if you read this chunk of the book, you'll see there's some stuff about accusation and that one of the enemy's very favourite tools is is accusation. 
What is it going to take for you to know that you are truly and deeply loved? Now, you might say to me, well, I can't just manufacture that knowledge if God's got to do that for me. Yeah, I I would agree with that at some level. However, I do know there are things that I can do to silence the voice of the accuser. There are things I can do that actually do work for helping me to push back against that lie that I have to cover up, that I have to become somebody I'm not, that I have to uh, that I have to make excuses for myself or whatever. Actually, there are things I can do. Maybe it's um, starting your prayer time with a picture of God uh, or a name of God or a facet of God's character that you know you find it really easy to connect with. Maybe you've known God at a time in your life as absolute faithfulness and that's where you start because you've known it you've experienced it and you remind yourself of that maybe you love the picture of the father in the prodigal son running towards his son you know maybe that's a helpful picture for you that no matter what has happened no matter who you are and what you've done no matter what fruit you've eaten from what tree uh, you are loved you are accepted you are received there is a way back to God from all of that stuff and I would challenge you on that just as much as on the on the other thing I said about finding a rhythm of prayer that brings joy find moments in prayer find ways of connecting in prayer that remind you that you are loved and I've been reading some Henry Nouwen stuff I'm often reading Henry Nouwen stuff I get I get daily thingies quotes from him so well not from him but from his foundation uh, so um there's often a bit of Henry Nouwen floating around in my head uh, and the last few days have just been about knowing your inheritance it's it's actually your right your inheritance to know that you're loved Paul said to the Ephesians you know that you may have power I pray that you may have power together with all the saints to know how high and how wide and how long and deep is the love of Christ and to know that love that surpasses knowledge. You know, it's not just something that's quite nice if you can achieve it. You have a right to this. You have a right to go to God in prayer and to know that you are completely and utterly acceptable to him. That because of the journey that we're about to remember that Jesus took uh, through his suffering and to his resurrection, you do have wide open access. And I want to encourage you this week not just to wait for that knowledge, but to fight for that knowledge, to stand up and say, I have every right to come to my Father in heaven and know immediately that I am completely loved. And if you know that prayer brings you joy, that you found a joyful way of praying and you know that you are completely loved, Do you think that might change prayer from being difficult, a struggle, uh, a a thing that you feel mostly guilty about to being something that you love and enjoy and that you do more of than you are at the moment? Let me leave you with that challenge because I believe that it is ours to push back against the alienation and to find our home in prayer.